Welcome to Get After It PDX, a down-to-earth podcast featuring honest conversations with inspiring people in the creative hotbed of Portland, Oregon. Recorded live and on location in Portland, let's welcome the co-founder of Y-East Wolfpack and the host of Get After It PDX, Willie McBride. Hey folks, a quick note before we get started. The Get After It PDX podcast is brought to you by the support of our friends at the Aimsure Distilling Company, a new distillery focused on bringing people together through great flavors and a warm environment. They love the way spirits taste, but more importantly, they love what they do. Spirits bring people together to make memories, build bridges, and crystallize the moment opening up in early 2020 in Northeast Portland. Welcome, folks. We are here with our very special guest, Allison Bryan, who is the founder and creative director of Open Studio Collective here in Portland. Hi, Allison. Hi, Willie. We're so happy to have you here. Super happy to be here. Yes, we, of course, are at the Hoxton up on the top floor in Tope in this beautiful space. So thanks to them as always. So we're going to get into this and get into Allison's background and how she got to Portland. So Allison, tell us, how did you get to this, this great city of ours? So I am from the Midwest originally, all over. Grew up in Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois. So um, I'm as Midwestern as you can get. And uh, I had always dreamed of living out in, in Oregon. Um, I was a cross-country runner in high school and saw a Prefontaine documentary, uh, I think it was my junior, sophomore, junior year, and just knew at that moment I one day had to live in mystical Oregon. So what about seeing this film made you want to come to Oregon? What specifically? Well, I think it was a couple different things. Seeing Pre in those early races take off and the rolling mystical hills of, of Oregon and watching footage of him in Blaine County and just like the beautiful evergreens and it's just so mystical and foggy and growing up in the Midwest it was just flatness everywhere so that was super intriguing and, and um, like the mystic nature of Oregon and then also just seeing a runner with so much heart and uh, the success of him and his story and really wanting to experience uh, living in that town that he ran in, Eugene, Oregon, where I went to grad school. Wow. So what age did you see this film? I think I was about 15, probably my sophomore year in high school. Coach Beckwith showed it to me. <laughs> and prior to that, I had been bouncing around a lot um, because I grew up with addiction in my household. So... I finally made the decision to land in one spot, living with my, my dad in Indiana and my freshman year of high school, and I was, prior to that, getting pretty bad grades, um, you know, toying around with drugs and alcohol um, at a really young age, and then my dad made me join a sport, so I joined cross country and met Coach Beckwith, and he kind of took me under his wing. and showed me this documentary and it kind of changed my life and um, I think that kind of set the, the tone for my move out west. Oh wow, so this, so you were experiencing these troubles at home and it, uh, it was coming out in your behavior and so all that led up to seeing the film. 
So that was like yeah. given to you by this coach as a so a life life raft. So. Yeah, I think well I had joy I moved to my freshman year in the middle of the year, it was Groundhog's Day and I joined the track team. And I made some good friends and I started to like get my shit together a little bit more. Um the next fall is when I joined cross country and he showed the whole team that, and I just, I was so captivated. It moved me so much just seeing how hard he worked and his story. Um, so that set the tone moving forward. So in your mind, then you started planning your steps out West. Yeah, basically I, um, I graduated early from high school and saved up money for college, went to Indiana University for instead of graphic design. And it took me a long time to get to graphic design. I think I went through like five different majors. I was like film, <laughs> business, everything, you know, and I came from a very, my dad was very um, kind of, you get that job that you have for the, your entire life with insurance kind of guy. Um, and he still is that way. But he was just not buying the art major things. So I tried, you know, the more practical things and just, I ended up really going with my heart and becoming an art major and studying graphic design and knowing towards the end of my undergraduate career that I really wanted um, to study more about the built environment and do more intellectual studies. So um, I did work for a few years and then ended up going to U of O for, in Eugene for grad school for architecture. So you realized the dream of, of heading to Oregon. Oh yeah, it was always all through undergrad. Like I had like a picture of Portland just, oh my gosh. Yeah, always wanted to move there. So That's so cool. And I had never been there. So I never went until the probably the six months before I went to grad school. So at what point did your vision of this promised land shift from Oregon in general to Portland specific? It's an interesting story. So uh, I went to grad school um, for architecture, had like the time of my life, like met the most amazing people, class of 2007, hey there. Um, just a really awesome group, super intelligent. A lot of these people are have their own practices today and they're, they're small emerging businesses in Portland as well and around the country. So had an amazing time, but really wanted to get deeper into nature at the end of grad school. So I took a job in Jackson Hole doing high-end residential for a couple of years. It was my my first job out of school working for this firm, Carney Logan Burke, had an amazing mentor and the design principal there. Um, so loved living in the mountains. Uh, I had also met my now husband, Nick, who's also an architect in grad school. He went to Jackson with me. And um, for us to both be architects and have decent careers, it just made sense to get back to a more urban environment and of course, we both were in love with the state of Oregon, so it felt like the obvious choice. And so what was that spark of, like, when you decided to really make a move to be closer to nature? Mm-hmm. That was just something you were feeling inside. Obviously, you had some interest throughout your whole life of, of chasing these sort of natural spaces that you were seeing and saw in the Prefontaine film. But so what, what sort of tipped the scale of, like, we, I need to be closer to mountains or closer to open space. I think it's, you know, it's, I still have that yearning. I, every day I'm like, what am I doing in the city, you know? But this is the best city to be in if you want to get to nature in a short amount of time. 
I think we, I, I don't know a single person that wouldn't say that nature brings a certain sense of calm that you can't get anywhere else. I mean, no drug or substance can give you what you get when you're out there. And I think I just have always craved that quiet. Maybe it's in my mind, you know, and that I, I get when I'm in these, when you, when you're in a, when you're in the environment and you can sense that there's something, something so much bigger than yourself. I think it's really important and brings a sense of calm. Your first job in Portland was with Nike? Yeah, I worked for a small architecture firm prior to that, and then it was during the recession, really down. It was 2009 when we moved here, so there was no jobs. But we decided we needed to move to Portland. All of our friends told us we were crazy. Um, it ended up working out for us. We both got jobs, and then I actually got laid off from my job um, at that time, and then within a month or two, landed a job at Nike. So I had literally always wanted to work for Nike. You know, going going from the pre-start, pre-Fontaine, um, as a an idol, and then studying graphic design. Nike was just always on my list. I all through undergrad I was always looking at the Nike website and jobs and I even designed you know faux Nike ads um, on my own not even for school projects and then so I finally landed this the ultimate job in my mind I got a job at Nike what was the job it was designing retail spaces for North America and it was funny because I actually Prior to going to grad school, I was working for Urban Outfitters. And one of the reasons I went to grad school is because I kind of wanted to get out of retail. Um, but it all came back full circle when I got the job at Nike, and I was super grateful for my experience that had led me up to that. So Nike is such a iconic brand, <laughs> of course, as you know, but did you know before moving to Portland how, how sort of integral it is to... <coughs> to the city itself because clearly now living here for so long mm-hmm. and it seems like anyone who lives here it's like you can't help but know a, a number of people who work at Nike just because there's so many of them yeah <clears throat> I guess I kind of figured when I did make that trip out west to check out Eugene for grad school this is so nerdy but I went to Nike's campus and walked around too because it had always been on my bucket list um so I knew coming out west that it was such a huge part of um, of the city and the state and the culture. And just coming from the Midwest and knowing, like I remember, I remember in first grade finding a specific Nike that I told my dad I had to have and he got me the wrong one and I made him t- take me back to the store and get the new one, the other one that I wanted. And just knowing as a young kid in the Midwest, what an impact that brand had on my life. And then I just assumed it would be huge here. After four years at Nike, mm-hmm. what, what came next for you? So I did a couple years in North America retail design there, and then I went to global retail design. And towards the end of my four years, I got pregnant with my daughter, Ada. Um, so I went back to work after maternity leave and 
it was just really hard. I was working long hours um, because I was trying to, you know, I was breastfeeding. I was carpooling her. I was taking her to childcare, and um, it, it was really overwhelming. You're not sleeping, um, so the the work what could have been a ten hour workday ended up being a twelve hour workday for me. And after a couple of months, I just got super burnt out. Um, seeing the writing on the wall, like I wasn't going to be able to travel like the rest of my team. I had this baby and um, didn't know what my path was there. So I'd gotten a couple different freelance offers, which I thought was funny because here I'm full-time new mom and they're like, on top of it, do you want to freelance? And I thought, oh, well, hell no, but I can quit my job and freelance. So I just walked in one day and, and quit. And actually I called my husband on the way to work as I was about to put it in. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted. And he actually started crying because he was so glad that I was finally just like, I, it was just really hard to do what I was trying to do. Huh. Work-life balance is a real oh, thing. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> How long did it take, sorry, to get to that final breaking point? That's, that was... I mean, I think I went back September 4th and my last day was November 7th. So it was, it was pretty quick. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't my plan at all, but it just, it happened and it seemed, they were so gracious and, um, totally understood. And actually they're, they're a huge client for us today. Um, so had I not had that experience there and had the, um, left the way I did, you know, we probably wouldn't be doing the work. So freelance was the the name of the game for mm-hmm. how long then? So let's see. I left in November of twenty thirteen, and um, that was about five and a half years ago, which is crazy. Maybe five years ago. Um, and I I did a couple. I was I had calculated out that I could do like ten hours of freelance a week and make ends meet. So I spent a lot of time with. Her daughter because she was in childcare at Nike. So when I left, I had to take her out, and it's probably about the time I met you, or shortly mm-hmm. after. Um, so we, I got her in for childcare just a couple days a week, and I was like, okay, I'll just like crank out ten hours of work on those days. And very quickly, that ten turned into twenty, which turned into thirty. And so, throughout over a year, I had to kind of incrementally just add another day of childcare when it opened up. And a lot of days, I mean, I can't even tell you how many meetings Ada came in her car seat with me to to new client meetings. Or one time I was meeting with somebody and I was holding her and she pooped in my hand. Like I was holding her and the poop leaked out of the diaper and then like I went to shake their hand, you know, and we just like tapped elbows instead. So um, mom life right there. Oh yeah, she was just with me all the time and um, it was awesome but challenging at times and I would never take it back that first year getting to spend so much time with her. Um, eventually she got into school or childcare full time and then that's kind of when um, I, started, I started developing the Forest Park map and that really launched OSC. It was the Forest Park map that mm-hmm. was your first sort of project? Yep. Oh wow. So Tell us about that. Yeah, I, um, I was doing contract for a lot of other agencies. And then I decided that I wanted to focus on my own 
creative work and I did a Kickstarter because what I was trying to do is I kept running there during that that year it was just like a real place of solace for me let's make sure everyone knows what we're talking about Forest Park right yes so Forest Park is the very large urban wilderness here in Portland so 5,000 acres correct I think correct five times the size of Central Park I once heard Mm -hmm. and which Central Park and Forest Park were both designed by Olmsted and so as an architect in training which was what I was at the time um, Olmsted's like hero and just knowing that that existed here in the city I would go running there and looking at the trail maps just think like God, this is like a piece of art in itself just the the patterns of these trails and it you know you think about abstract artists Pollock etc like it's like a drizzle right it's a drizzle through this landscape and so I thought a lot about how can you document this and I created a large format letterpress print that it was just larger than what is your typical printing process so it's actually really expensive to print so I did a Kickstarter to raise the funds to get these things printed did a video there's lots of footage of Forest Park um, and that was the first it got, it got like well over 200% funded if not 300 and then um, from there on, I just started selling prints and then started to get different projects individually, um, getting out of like the contract realm, like having my own clients. And I saw that 5% of proceeds from the maps go to the Forest Park Conservancy. Actually, 10%. 10%? 10%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so we have an ongoing relationship with them. They sell them, and then we sell them through the office. And um, then we just cut him a check and we just love the fact that we can give back um, to the conservancy. Very cool. I want to talk more about the work you do, but I think real quick because we're on the topic, I want to talk more about Forest Park and what it means to you. So what is, what, what place does that have in your life? Do you go there frequently? Is it you know, it's a pretty big deal to have such an, an immense open space nearby. How does that feel yeah. as a Portlander? I go as much as I can. Like, if I can go once a week, I'm, like, doing really good. Um, when I go, I totally have my same loops I do all the time. And I just, there's just this flow and euphoria that I get when I'm running on the trails. And I think we can all, all of us trail runners can relate it's you feel like a kid and it's what's really interesting for me and particularly when I'm running alone um I get very emotional it's just something it's just being out there by yourself you get this you know the endorphins are flowing and it's it's awesome and to me it's the, the best release and it's right here in our backyard do you cry sometimes when you trail run I do yeah and I don't I'm not a crier so um Running is one of the few things in life that actually makes me cry. I think it's like, it's this uh, brings me back to a time in my life where it really changed everything for me, running did. Um, so I, I, without being aware of it, I think I hold this deep um, store for those releases that I get in running. 
I imagine you're not running along sobbing every time you run. No. And I'm actually, I like to run with people and alone, so when I run with people, I'm real chatty. <laughs> That's so cool, though. So clearly it's a, besides the physical release of it and the energetic release, it's also an emotional one. Yeah. And so just to dig a little deeper there, so that you said, like, being around... What triggers it? Like track, like a, being around a track, being around yeah. seeing other runners. Does that? Yeah, I think evoke these um, emotions as well. When I go to track meets, or um, when I'm running by myself, or I see like a marathon, or anything where I see someone just pushing themselves to the limit, I get super emotional. Um, runners, and it's it's very specific. Runners pushing themselves to the limit. I still get that way like with other like sporting events and stuff but I think for me I grew up in a way where I saw such um, sadness of life like someone very close to you that just couldn't get over the hump of of the tragedy of life you know and I think running was such a tool for me to get out of that and it really changed my life so that when I see it now, it totally triggers something in me. When I see someone pushing hard, I'm like, oh yeah, that's fucking awesome. It's awesome. And I wanted to, to jump back to before when you talked about your father, that he had actually given you the sort of ultimatum of you need to get yeah. into a sport. Clearly he then believed in the power of, of sport and mm-hmm. physical activity. Was, yeah. was he an athlete himself? Yeah, he he's an interesting character. He he was actually really out of shape as a young kid, and he grew up in Ohio, you know, fried chicken every day at the farm for lunch. And um, I think between his, you know, middle school and high school years, he, he went on, a, like, a major diet, which back then, you know, had never... Guys didn't do that. that. It just wasn't... I mean, maybe I'm just not aware of it if they did, but... He ended up losing a ton of weight and stretching out and becoming like a star basketball player and played in college. And I remember as a kid seeing pictures of my dad because we were we didn't live we didn't run around him very much when we were young. Um, seeing pictures of him running marathons and being like super inspired, like wow, dad does like oh, so he was a runner. Yeah, he ended up running I think after college. And uh, so he's really inspired me. And then I remember at one point in my early teenage years, we lived in England. And um, we lived in this manor that had a mile-long drive because my dad was in academics and we had gone over to live with him for a little bit. And I remember just starting, I was in seventh grade, running out and down that, that driveway, or that mile-long driveway, because I would see my dad do it. And I could never run it. I would just you know, end up walking half of it. But. Oh, that's neat. So back to the work you do, because it's so so amazing. I love, love the stuff you guys do at Open Studio Collective. So it was the Forest Park print that sort of launched, launched that phase of things. Um, so do you think some of the people you reached through that directly sort of helped with this momentum to did they become clients or it just kicked things off you believed you could you could go off on your own you know I think uh, right when I had developed it I was working on a project with this guy 
Chris Giovarelli, who was um, the owner of Christopher David, and now um, Studio Butch, and we did a we collaborated on a Nike workspace project together, and we used the map to wrap a massive conference room um, for the space. And I think at that point, um, I had started working a little bit with Skylab on some other Nike stuff and worked on Yard and Not Springs with them. So I, I think it really was, it did kick it off because I think people saw me in a different light that I was starting my own creative pieces. Great. You mentioned Not Springs. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that was a huge um, piece of OSC starting as well. I was working really closely with Skylab and Jeff Covell, who designed the um, first portion of Knot Springs, and he was has been an amazing mentor and, and um, design partner. We did the environmental graphics for the the spa, and if you haven't been there, it's this. It's in the a yard tower at the Burnside Bridgehead, Bridgehead in town, and it's kind of a little bit of an out-of-world Portland experience. You know, it's um, it's trying to tell the story of the environment of Oregon within the space, and there's all these different soaking pools and things like that. But it definitely feels um, like a high-tech Portland piece. Um, so we did all the environmental graphics with him the first time around, and then now this month, actually, uh, the expansion is opening. So Not Springs has expanded, and we worked on the architecture for that piece. <laughs> you practice architecture as well as graphic design, correct? Correct, yes. Tell me about that marriage of, of disciplines. Yeah, so I studied graphic design in undergrad, and. Um, architecture in graduate school and I felt that prior to starting Open Studio and my career is very cornered into you're either a graphic designer or you're an architect still people today are confused like what are you I'm a designer we can do we're trained in all these different scales so uh, from the beginning I mean I got my master's in architecture in 2007 so I've been practicing architecture since then 12 years now Um, but I think now that OSC is, has grown a little bit and we've proven ourselves, we're finally getting the opportunity to do larger scale architecture projects. We've done ground up residential, uh, lots of interior spaces. We do a ton of branded environments. So we're really getting to the point now where we're doing the branded environments and the architecture together. So a lot of times companies will hire one firm to do the brand and one firm to do the architecture. but the cool thing about us, I believe, is that we can do all of it and coming from a very skilled and trained way. So we have interior designers on staff, we have graphic designers, art directors, and um, licensed architects on, on staff. It sounds like Open Studio Collective has grown since, it has, yeah. since you first started. Yes. How many employees do you have now? So there are six of us now. We've ebbed and flowed. We um, grew really fast last year and we were up to nine and then um, uh, really thought through the size we wanted to be for now and we're at six and we feel really good. There's six really tight-knit people. We've been all working together for a long time 
Um, our art director has been with me since the just after the Forest Park print, and um, she was working contract with me for years, and now she's finally full-time. Um, as of this last year, you know, I have just people that literally I've been working with for two to three years minimum, and all six of us get along so well, so it's great. It's a great core group, and we just ebb and flow as the as the projects come in. If we need to scale up, we will. As a business owner myself, I know some of the ins and outs and stresses of, of running a business and having employees. So a friend of mine actually just gave me a little nugget of wisdom. I was saying how, you know, it's tough sometimes, it, especially if you're not as experienced with it, to, and I used the expression, manage people. And he said, no, you got to look at it this way. You lead people and you manage tasks and such, things like that. So how how do you find being a, a leader of employees and, and people now? Because it, clearly it's a very different thing from doing mm-hmm. your own work, being your own employee or person, to having people under you. So Yeah, it's totally different. And I'm everyday learning. I want, you know, last year was really actually challenging for me because it was a real fi- friction growth year for us. And... Um, you know, we had been this fast-moving train, and then here we were with nine people, and I'm like, how the hell did this happen? You know, I had never planned for it, and so it was a really, just, you know, December, January, we were really kind of, or toward around the holidays, excruciating for me, and like, what is the vision of this place, and what do we want it to be, so we're all happy and doing what we love, and what I've really shifted my focus on is learning how to be an excellent leader. So I could easily go back to being one person and do it myself. Or I could learn how to be a great leader and affect the creative lives and the personal lives of these people and have them do the work that they love and be them their best selves. And when I look back at my life, it's like, what? which would I rather do? To me, it's a no-brainer that I would like to help people live a great life um so all I can do is I mean I'm just reading a ton right now of how to be a great leader how to be effective um and guide guide these people that I really care about in a good way do you see parallels with parenting oh yeah yeah for sure yeah any examples that come to mind (laughs) right away oh geez that's a tough one um well, obviously, these people want to be in the office. They're a lot more mature than a five-year-old's. Um, but I do feel the responsibility towards them that I feel towards her um, in a different way. Her meaning your daughter. My daughter, Ada, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel a total loyalty to them. And, and that's where I think pressure comes from, which I'm sure you feel as well, is like... One, is the job that you pull in, is that going to make them happy and engaged? But two, if you don't pull it in, are they going to stay in their seat? And these are people that I genuinely care about. So um, it's kind of the same thing as, like, what's best for them? What's going to keep them nourished? And I, that's how I am with Ada, too, is, like, it's on a different level. How do you feel about the Portland sort of small business scene? Do you feel supported? Do you feel like this is a 
ideal place to have started what you did? Do you feel like you could have done it in any other place, or was was something special about Portland for yeah. the growth of Open Studio Collective? I don't think I could have started it anywhere else in the world. Like, I really don't. I think for my interests and, like, how it launched with, like, Forest Park, you know, and my interest in, in exercise and the outdoors, um, I mean, that's how I launched my business. So... Yeah, I, there's no way in that regard I could have anywhere else. But also, because I went to grad school in Eugene, we just know so many people in the design community in this town. My husband, again, is an architect. And um, every, like a lot of, like I said this earlier, a lot of the small businesses I know that are starting right now are people that I went to school with, and they're doing great. And we all have the same troubles. We all have the same ups and downs. So there are many times during the week where I'm like, oh my God, I cannot do this anymore. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, running this business, what am I doing? And I just call one of those people. Um, you know, like field work design, I went to school with Tim, um, Studio Petretti, the Guggenheims, like, I mean, there's just a list of them and we all reach out to each other and kind of say, I'm struggling with this, what do you do for this? And it's so helpful. It's amazing. Do you feel as a female and as a female business owner that you've had special hurdles to overcome to get where you are today? You know, it's funny. I grew up in the Midwest and I have the mentality of like, you take your cards that you're dealt and you just deal with them. Um, so I don't like to dwell on anything like that. I do feel like in hindsight, I've seen a lot of uh, salary and equity in my career uh, that I knew about after the fact. Um, I definitely have issues with GCs on site because, you know, I'm a female architect. It's a constant battle. GC meaning general, general contractors. contractors. Okay. Um, yeah, we just, I mean, we, as a woman in the field, you walk in the door and they just treat you totally differently. I mean, I have contractors call me um, me and my lead designer, Georgia, will walk in and they'll say, hey girls, I'm like, I'm almost 40 years old. Don't call me a girl, like, come on. Um, so that's pretty constant. All the time, all the time. And it's just like, I have a guard up. A lot of times, you know, we'll walk out of a meeting and the client will say, you were kind of butting heads with that GC. And I'm like, no, that's just how I have to be around a male GC because if I'm not, we'll get completely screwed. And Screwed meaning they they just don't listen to your opinion. They don't they listen. Don't, yeah. They don't, they, you know, they don't, you have to stay really linked and connected to your general contractor when you're building something because, um, you want a good product and open studio is all about relationships. We become friends with all of our clients and all of our partners, all of our fabricators. So we work really hard to maintain these good relationships with, with everybody, whether they call us girls or not. Um, so it's just hard. You have to have a certain front so that they know they can't take advantage. And that, I mean, because we're, we're dealing with a lot of money. And the last thing that we're going to do is let the client's money get spent in the wrong way. Um, so it's about really trying to gain that respect with them so that they know you're not kidding around and you can't be pushed around. And do you think that's just sort of the normal toxic masculine culture yeah general yeah I do and I, I really don't dwell on it I, I really don't 
go into a meeting thinking, okay, it's a bunch of, there's, I've been in meetings where there's 20 men around the table and I'm the only women, woman. <laughs> um, I don't go into those meetings being like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like this is, you know, so masculine. It's just, you just deal with it. It, it is what it is and it sucks sometimes, but it makes you stronger. And um, I think it's changing. You do. Oh yeah, I think there's no way it can't right now. It's just I think I think our culture is shifting, and um, you know there's been some horrible things that have happened politically that have made people see these issues face to face. And as unfortunate as it is, things are are going to have to shift. So we're talking the Me Too movement, all these yeah more recent horrible things that have come to light. Exactly. The trend of them coming to light, which is positive. <sighs> yes, I hope hope it changes, continues to change slowly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think all we can do is you just have to be loud and proud and get out there and not be, don't shrink back, you know, just be yourself and um, I think if we all do that and we're true to ourselves, then things have to change. Portland gets a rap as a pretty liberal place, of course, especially nationally. We're the, the liberal Portlandia place. Yeah. Do you think it's as liberal as the you know stereotype is? It's hard because I feel like it's normal. You know, the way uh, I find I'm a liberal person myself, so uh, I feel like this is normal to me, but I know going back to my Midwestern roots and politically what my extended family is doing there is is not what is happening here. So, um, yeah, so I do. So we're in a bubble of sorts. We're in a complete <laughs> bubble, for better or for worse. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, if, my husband and I moved to a completely conservative place like could we you know could us liberals make a little bit more of a difference you know rather than living amongst so many like-minded people um so it's got its pros and cons I think every interviewee I have on the podcast I've been asking them what their advice is to people who are trying to find find their path and find their passion because to me it seems pretty much like all the guests we have on here that you have have found a life created a life that is is you know very suiting to you and you have this amazing business and it's flourishing and it's inspiring to others and you've you've really found a great niche so what what advice would you give to others who are struggling well, I'm a big fan of soul searching and doing a lot of self work. So if you find yourself unhappy in your life or just feel like you're going with the grind and you're dreading going to work in the morning, like really dig in what and find out what it is that's making you unhappy. Is it is it that you could love your job but you're just not, not doing enough to take care of yourself, or is it that you don't like your job? I think no matter what, you just have to 
drip it down and go with your heart. And I have a, you know, friends all the time who are like, I want to quit my job or I'm, ugh. I'm just in this grind and I'm like, I am always the first person they'll tell you to say, just quit. And that, you know, I come from like the super practical background, my Midwestern father of like, when I got the job at Nike, he was stoked. Like he was like, you're a lifer, you'll get insurance forever, you'll get stock. And then when I quit, you know, I just went with my heart and I wanted to be with my daughter and I wanted to be doing my own creative things. Um, and it totally changed my life. So if you follow your heart, I genuinely believe that everything will work out. How did he feel about you leaving Nike? You know, he's gotten to the point with me that he just trusts me and he just wants me to be happy. So he, he really backed my decision. And honestly, I'm going to be 40 here soon. I still like my dad to back my decision. It's like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> it's really funny. I wonder, want that parental. I know. When will that ever go away? Um, any future goals for this year, this new year we're in now? Any uh, physical goals? Are you still mm-hmm. trying to run around? Are you still yeah. getting out to the park? Yeah. Um, I ran with my headlamp this morning at Tabor, which was awesome. Um, I, yeah, I'm doing the Smith Rock 15-miler in May. I'm doing the Go Beyond um, Spring Trail Series. So, as I've said a couple times, I'm going to be 40 this year, so I'm feeling the burn. i got to, you know, <laughs> do some good races. I think I'd really love to do um, a 50K maybe this year. I mean, Willie and I have been talking about doing the Grand Canyon forever. Mm-hmm, so, yes, I yeah. really want to do that. That's on my bucket list. And, um, I mean, I think fitness-wise, I'll always be shooting um, for some goals because that keeps me motivated. And I think... Business-wise, I'm really working towards fitness and community um, is becoming more of my everyday practice. So what are the projects that I can work on that really start to uh, nourish nourish the community and the wellness around us? Um, so thinking through ideas, envisioning on that. So and, like integrating design yeah. with... movement with a place to commune. Exactly. So thinking about bigger picture ideas on on how that can happen. That's kind of a a North Star for me. And um, then just in terms of design business wise, really visioning with the team on the kind of projects we want to do, making sure we're our tight knit group is um, thriving on a intellectual and creative level and and working on on leadership so we can improve that excellent well it seems like you're a a great leader for the people in your office and for others in portland who are inspired by the things you do i'm I'm learning well it seems like you're doing great i really appreciate you being here thank you so much for talking to us today thanks willie all right see you soon bye-bye bye This wraps up another edition of the Get After It PDX podcast. For more information about today's guest, including social media links, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. Now it's your turn to get out there and get after it.